it really changed my life. Isn't that why you're here? I, want you to, I wanted you to get a, a flavor, a taste of, of what the next four days will be for you guys. Now, you may not be here the 10 weeks that we're here at the lake or the eight in Southern California or the seven back in New England where you're actually leading the Kajabi or you're standing up front and being the speaker. But what you're going to do over the next four days allows that to happen. It couldn't be done without your contribution to that. So I wanted you to see and hear those testimonies and hear those stories just at the beginning. Because Wednesday at noon, when you're sunburned from the extreme heat wave we're having, <laughs> or maybe it's frostbit from the extreme cold, I'm not sure which it is, but as, as God's using your hands, your feet, to work here over the next four or five days, that's our mission. That's your mission this week. Your investment in that will make that happen. It wouldn't happen without you. So I wanted you to see that because that's how my mind works. I like to see the end before I begin, if at all possible. And I've lived a lot of my life that way, so I've thought, what at 6, 7.30 do I want you guys to walk out of here with? from my time in front of you. And I'll tell you the end from the beginning. I want to leave you with six things we're going to talk about tonight. I hope I leave you with one fact, one nugget of truth from God's Word that you can take with you all week long that He somehow uses that nugget of truth in your heart to remind you of who He is and what He's doing in your life in this place for the next four days. Let's see if we can get there. Lord, thanks for the evening that we could be together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this place that you have entrusted to us. These acres, these cabins, these trees, this place, in this moment of time, that we can see your face, that we can see your hand at work, that we can hear your voice whisper in our hearts, the truth of who your son is and how he's changed our life but how he's not done with our life yet. So Lord, this afternoon, this evening, as we come together, Lord, may you be pleased. May you be honored. May we leave this place tonight thinking about Jesus in whose name I pray, amen. You'll have to pardon me if I drink throughout the evening. I've taken about 19 allergy pills because I traveled between here and SoCal the last eight months, and it's all different pollens. So half the time, my eyes are blurry, and my mouth gets dry from taking all the allergy pills. So I'm going to drink a little bit while we... It's water. Uh, <laughs> careful I say that. It could be recorded, and they're just going to say, I'm going to drink a lot tonight. <laughs> You'll know if I start to slur halfway through, it's more than water. What's your favorite passage of Scripture? What's your favorite story in the Bible? There are a lot of them. God speaks to us through stories, doesn't he? The Old Testament's replete with stories. There's Noah. And as soon as I say Noah, what do you think of? You think of the ark, right? 
And you know what happens, right? The beginning, you know, okay, God tells Noah to build an ark. He builds an ark. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. The earth's flooded for 365 days. The plants come back. He sends out the dove. The dove comes back. Noah and his family saved. You know that story, right? If I say David and Goliath, that's why I don't stand on stage, because on stage I look like Goliath, <laughs> and I like my head right where it's at. But you think about the story of David and Goliath. You know the story, right? David goes to King Saul, Goliath's taunting the Israelites, David grabs a stone, five stones from the brook, puts the stone in the sling, whap <laughs> back, Goliath in the head, boom, falls down, cuts off his head, and then you know the story. You know the story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? You know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Throw in the fiery furnace, they walk in the fiery furnace. You know the story when Peter's sitting in the boat and he sees Jesus out in the water. What does Peter say and what does Peter do? Jumps out the boat, takes a couple of steps and then sinks and Jesus comes along and says, oh, I got you. We know the stories and we like the stories because we always know how they end, right? We always know the process. We see the end because the scriptures tell us what the end is. We know that David kills Goliath. We know that Daniel survives the lion's den. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live through the fiery furnace. We know that Peter walks on water for a bit and then Jesus saves him. We know the stories of Scripture. Tonight I want to just talk through six things that I'm learning, because I don't believe I'll ever learn it all exactly this side of eternity, from John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at John chapter 11. We're going to move through it pretty quickly because you'll need as much rest as you can get tonight for the rest of the week. Because I've seen the list that Ron Setter has for you over the next four days. The story of John chapter 11, if, when I was a kid in, in what we called good news clubs, and we do the Bible verses, you know, the Bible memory, and you know, who could do the, the, you know, the first one was always John 11, 22, or 23, right? Jesus wept. Everybody, I mean, I, I knew that one. I had that one. I was ready. You know, we were ready on the seat, ready to stand up. Jesus wept. I knew it. Had it down all the time. But there's more to John chapter 11 than just Jesus wept. Tonight, I'm going to look for six nuggets, six things that, that I'm learning about John chapter 11. That I thought, I'm going to share them with you and let God take them from here and see what he does with those in your life. John chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and with her sister Martha. This Mary was the one that brother, was the brother, wait, this Mary whose brother Lazarus lay sick was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son will be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran to Lazarus' bedside and healed him. Oh wait, that's not what it says. It says, when he learned that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
Then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. Jump down with me to verse 14. It says this, so then he told them plainly. Now Jesus speaking to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe. But now let's go see him. Doesn't that seem strange? I don't understand what was going on in Jesus' mind in that moment. He tells his disciples that it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How in the world is Jesus going to bring glory? Now we know the end of the story, right? We know, we've heard Mary and Martha before. If you remember, or if you're familiar with your New Testament well enough, you know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are part of Jesus' story. When he comes to Jerusalem, if you're familiar with geography, Bethany is just over the ridge to Jerusalem. And you know there's been interaction before. Remember the first time we hear of Mary and Martha? Martha is in the kitchen, cooking, cleaning, because Jesus is coming, someone important. Mary is sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. Martha comes in pretty upset. It's servant's week. Mary should be in the kitchen with me, doing what we got to do, because summer's coming. That was the first time we saw Mary and Martha, right? And do you remember Jesus' words? Martha, take a pill. I got this. Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary's chosen to sit at my feet and learn. That's the first time we see these two sisters. We're also told in this passage that Mary was the same woman who took the incense or the whatever fragrance it was, washed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. It's the same Mary. So they, they pretty much understand and know who Jesus is. And they come to this place, and they sent. They believe. I mean, they know who he is, and they send word because they they've obviously followed Jesus. They obviously watched the three years of his ministry of what he's been doing. Right? What What was Jesus' first miracle? Do you remember? Turned the water into wine. Then they watched him cast out demons. Then they watched him heal the soldier's daughter from afar. So, so they knew who Jesus was. They identified him as the Messiah, the coming one, the promised one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's how uh, Martha will, def- will, will recognize who he is later. We'll, we'll get to that. But one of the things that so often is true is we don't always understand how Jesus works. Nugget number one for me is this. God doesn't make sense in our pain or when we're hurting or when he's working in our lives or lives of those we love. Oftentimes, God doesn't make sense. We want him to. We think he should. But Jesus, this this bugs me. Jesus waited two more days. Mary and Martha knew he healed the soldier's daughter who was sick with a fever from a distance away. 
go home, she's healed. They got word to Jesus, Jesus, all you have to do, all you got to do, you don't even need to speak the words, right? Just the, the Lazarus, the, you're like the one you loved, he's sick. Certainly the one you love, you will, you'll, you'll just, just say it, speak the words, he'll be okay, he'll be healed. Jesus said, nope, he waited two more days. He often doesn't make sense. First nugget that I want to share with you, he often doesn't make sense in our pain. I, I want him to. It's hard for me to get my head around that. I'm not happy with that. But there it is. He waited two more days. I don't know, I don't know most of you. I don't know what God's doing in your life, in your family, in your heart, in your friends, that you want him to answer today. You know he can, right, because you've trusted in Jesus, so you wouldn't be here serving in a place that is all about the gospel and about Christ. You know he has the ability, but not always do I understand when he doesn't do it fast enough. He doesn't do it according to my time frame. Man, that bugs me. But let's see what else can come out of this story. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Francis Collins. Anybody know who Francis Collins is? Francis Collins came to know Jesus through the life and death of an older African-American woman who came to the hospital with terminal cancer. Francis Collins was a medical cancer specialist. An atheist who didn't believe in God, who didn't believe in the Creator. And if, you, if you've spent any time in the hospital around doctors, especially university-type doctors, very, very little faith in anything but themselves and their abilities and their talents, the things that they've learned. They have an amazing, there's some amazing gifted people out there. Francis Collins was one of those, and he was a, a well-known neurosurgeon, uh, cancer specialist in Atlanta. And a dear, older, African-American woman, diagnosed with cancer, came to him for treatment. And over the course of 18 months, from the first day he met her, till the day she died, she told him, God's got this. He's in control. You can treat me. We can try the chemotherapy. We can try the radiation. We can, we can try all of these things, but whatever happens, she would remind him every visit, and even as she was in the hospital in her last days, reminded him every day, Dr. Collins, God's got this. Whether I'm healed or whether I'm in eternity, God's got this. And he tried everything he possibly could tried all the medical procedures, all of the things that he knew were going to heal this woman, and she still died of her cancer. And I got to hear Francis Collins speak at the National Prayer Breakfast one year. Francis Collins is the doctor that uh, President Bush assigned the task of breaking down the human genome. 
he came to know Jesus because this dear older woman shared her faith with her every day. He comes to know Christ. He solves the human genome project, mapped it out to its very DNA at every strand, the DNA, the strands. I'm not a scientist, so if I mess this up and you're a scientist, I apologize. But he took the DNA and broke it down to its smallest parts and to the nth degree, the whole, for the first time in human history, the human genome was mapped. And as he talked about the lady who led him to Christ by her death, he said, I wasn't ready for that. But God worked in my heart, and then the President of the United States assigns him this task. Let me tell you some things that have come out of the Human Genome Project. Everybody is familiar with the news of the last week, of the court decisions that they're talking about, Roe v. Wade. And all of us in our political, yes, we want that overturned, and we believe in right to life and all those things. Do you know some of the, the, the state legislations that have been written? have been because they understand that in the human genome, that at conception, it's a human life. I'm reminded of that story because it was this dear lady dying of cancer, and I'm sure her family didn't understand. What was God doing? Why didn't he heal her? Why didn't he make her whole that she could be with them? God said, I've got a plan that you can't see. In their pain, God used her life to touch a scientist's doctor's heart that would be assigned a project that would map out the human genome that would in turn be involved in changing one of the history's greatest tragedies. And that is the murder of unborn children in our country. And I don't know what's going to happen the next step of that. But man. Jesus waited two more days. Hmm. I wonder what's going to happen. Verse 21 says this. Lord, Martha said to Jesus... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. No one believes in me will let." The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whatever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to the world. I love that interaction. Because she didn't go to Jesus and try to justify why he should do and, he, and, 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 and what he could have done. I love the discussion, the interaction. Mary's not here. Remember the one who was at his feet? She's in the kitchen now. <laughs> we'll see that later. Mary's doing stuff with friends or people or something, and Jesus is there. Martha's like, 
Now I need to know. Yep, you reminded me last time you were here, or whenever you were here once before, that I should be sitting at your feet. Because at your feet's where I learn these things. And and they have this, this theological discussion. I love this, partly because I'm a master's seminary grad, so my theology sat under John MacArthur, and if you, know John, if you know John at all, he's like, here it is, here it is, and he can rattle it, I mean, just boom, 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 here's your theology. You need to know that the Bible's inerrant, you need to know that Jesus is the Son of God, he died, rose again, right down the line. And I love this passage because right here in this moment, when she's in her greatest pain, Lazarus has been dead, now we'll learn later, four days. And what does Martha do? She doesn't ask why it happened. She was having a theological discussion with Jesus about the resurrection. Nugget number two that I want you to think about this. Correct theology is an important pillar of your your faith in the middle of crisis. Be sure you're theologically solid before you're in the middle of a crisis. And when you're in the middle of it, remind yourself of it. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God is in control of all creation? Do you believe that God is going to bring glory unto himself first and unto his sons at the same time? Those are the things, the pillars of your faith. Do you believe the Bible's the inerrant word of God? If you do, why do you go to any other source for comfort in pain. In crisis, in those moments, we cling to our theology, that the answers are in our scripture. John MacArthur says it this way in a book that he wrote in print that's too small for me to read without glasses. It says this, he said, Jesus is not motivated to come to your aid because you love him. He helps you because he loves you. No matter what our problems might be, he always operates in our lives on the basis of his unconditional love. Did did you follow the chain? Let me read it again. Slower for me. Jesus is not motivated to come to our aid because you love him. He helps you Because he loves you. No matter what our problem might be, he always operates in our lives on the basis of his unconditional love. I hope you just catch the juxtaposition. Lord, if you love me, heal my my brother. Lord, I love you. I've given my life to you. I serve you. We've just had this great theological discussion because of all these things of who I am, will you, will you do this? Will you heal? It's not what Jesus says. Jesus operates from his love to us. From his unconditional love for us. So when I want it to be fixed, and I want it and want him or her to be healed, It's what God's doing. That's that theological reality that God is in control. 
Martha was reminded, you are the resurrection. We knew Lazarus will be raised, but in that moment, the theology has to be right. Because if it's not, and you can watch it in the world in which we live today, it's my right to choose how I live my life. And I can make God's truth say whatever I want it to say. God has a way of getting our attention, bringing us back into focus, that our theology of who He is, of what the Scriptures say who He is and what He does, is the important thing. Nugget number three, because I'm running late on time. Martha trusted Jesus even when it didn't make sense. In verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came to the world from God. She trusted him even though she didn't understand it in the moment. She had hope the resurrection would come. There's always hope in a Christian celebration of life or at a funeral that the resurrection's coming. But in the middle of this, and jump to verse 18 or uh, 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now we jumped ahead a little bit because you had the whole scene of Mary, remember, hanging out with her friends, doing something, where it was, if you read the rest of the passages, Mary's hanging out with the peers, the friends to help her mourn. So to go wail, and what was Jewish tradition, because if, I don't know if you realize this, in the Jewish culture of the day, they believed that the spirit of a person hovered over the body for three days, and then went to Abraham's bosom the Old Testament piece. That was something that they believed in that culture at that time. And uh, it's interesting that Jesus waited four days. So there's going to be no question about what's coming. You know what's coming. You know the story, right? But four days, verse 38 says, Jesus was once more moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said this, take away the stone. He said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. I love the English. He stinks. For he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Nugget number four is that sin stinks i don't know if many of you know my wife my wife is the daughter of a farmer from iowa and my father-in-law raised indoor pigs hogs as they call them in iowa now they stink is an understatement I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, so I didn't know. I mean, I knew what a pig was. I knew that, like, they were kind of cute maybe, or there was three little ones, that, and the little one went wee-wee-wee all the way home. Okay, that's my version of pigs. When I met my wife, in order to marry my wife, 
Uh, my father-in-law didn't believe that a city slicker knew how to work. Just didn't believe it. If you grew up in the city, you don't know how to work. That was his genuine belief. So as I was falling in love with his daughter, we would go to Iowa where he raised hogs, not pigs. They were hogs, 4,000 of them inside of a building. Okay, now my father-in-law, God rest his soul, was 5 feet 8 inches tall. Okay, on a good day, I'm 6 feet 7 inches tall. A pig is only 2 feet tall, maybe 3. Why would you build a building 7 feet tall for a 3 foot tall pig when you're 5 foot 8? You only need to build the building 5 feet 9 inches tall. And my father-in-law built buildings 5 feet 8 inches tall, raised 4,000 hogs inside. And they were kind of in pens. So like this whole section would have been a pen of hogs. No offense. Because this side over here was also a section of hogs. And if you know anything about hogs that live indoors, without indoor plumbing, it smells. Just to say the least. So my father-in-law, wanting to know that his future son-in-law knew how to work. When we would come from college to Iowa on spring break, or I'd spend a, a, a week or two every summer there because I was in love and wanted to see this beautiful young woman, he thought it was a great idea that that was the time that the hog pens needed to be cleaned. <laughs> it only made sense. So he would drag my six-foot-seven carcass into a building that's five feet nine inches tall. We would start at 6 a.m., and 4,000 hogs, you shovel a lot of smelly stuff. For eight, nine, ten-hour days, we got the break for lunch. My, my, my wife-to-be and my mother-in-law would bring sandwiches, and they would send them by the truck and then run. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I would come home every night tired, and they wanted to play basketball because I was still 6'7", even though for eight hours I was like this. It still gives me nightmares to think about. It, I, was, I was reminded how bad that smelled and how bad Lazarus must have stunk after four days. And I'm reminded that so often my sin must smell like that before God. Nugget number four, that even when we sin and the bad odor's there, there's a Savior. That it doesn't matter how bad it stinks or how bad you think it stinks, to the Savior, it's a fragrant aroma that his son has died for. I, I, having a 27-year-old today and a 26-year-old in another month, there's one thing about their generation I can't quite figure out. And it's just because I'm old. But, and some of you guys are in that age range. <laughs> the, this whole self-love thing, 
that I gotta, I gotta love myself. It goes back to the theology of just a minute ago. It's not based on you loving yourself. It's based on the fact that God, in his unconditional love, loves you. But you don't understand. I get this from my, my daughter particularly. But dad, you don't understand. You don't understand that, you know, my friends are telling me that they're in love, but and it's okay that we have sex before marriage. And it's, it, it's just like, you don't, and you don't know, and they, 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 you go through this, I, I, I'm trying to understand, so bear with me a little bit here in this, this but it's like they're so, they're so stuck in their sin. And honestly, it's not just your generation. Let me speak to all of us. Because so often we get hung up on our own smell. I'll go back to my pig story for a second. The first time I worked in the hogs, I, when you worked with the hogs, they had to undress in the garage. And I mean stripped down. They had a shower in the basement. And they had this special soap. And you'd scrub to get the smell off because you, you know, the clothes couldn't come in the house. And so the first time uh, we worked in the hogs, and we never worked on Sunday because that was one of my father-in-law's rules. So we go to church. We worked all day Saturday. We go to church Sunday morning. I'm sitting in the pew next to my wife, and she does one of these. <laughs> I'm like, no. I strip down. I used that soap, the lye, whatever it was. I still can't figure it out. It was like yellow. And it's like, I know it's not me. I know. I'm clean. And she goes, she's looking at my shoes. I didn't wear my shoes into the hogs. I had a special, had a special outfit you had to wear. And, and all of a sudden, she leans over and she goes, did you wash your glasses? Was I supposed to wash my glasses? Yes. <laughs> yes. And it was like, no, I was still carrying a piece of the smell with me. And I'm sitting in the middle of church, and what do you do? My wife being the, my fiancé at the time, she just took my glasses, tucked them in her purse, zipped the purse shut, and said, we'll deal with that later. But it was, it was that, that's the illustration. We, we think we're clean. We believe we're clean. We, but there's a... Satan will always bring a little bit of smell back if he can to keep you from trusting what Christ is doing in your life. That's the theology of what God wants to remind Martha of in these verses here that he's about to teach Mary. Nugget number five is so oftentimes when God's ready to move in our hearts, we protest. Lord, it stinks. Think about it for a minute. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They've watched him do miracles. They finally come when it becomes personal to them, and Lazarus is in the grave. They remind Jesus of what? Not that who he is, that he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, he's the Chosen One, he's going to be the salvation of Israel, he's going to sit on the throne of David. That's not what they said. What they say, Lord, he stinks. How often do we think we stink too bad and we're too messy for God to, to, to work? What I love about this whole piece is that Jesus is ready to do a work. And it's Mary and Martha that say, wait, time out. It stinks. Yes, 
Jesus knows that Lazarus stinks. It's not news to him. It wasn't news to anybody but me that my glasses still stunk. My wife picked up on it right away. So often, when God's ready to move, we're the ones that protest and say, wait, time out. Nope. I'm, I'm too stinky. I'm too smelly. You don't know the things I've done in my life. You don't know the times I've denied my faith or the things I've done with my boyfriend or the things that I've, whatever it might be, you, you list it out. That God's ready to say, nope, I am here to forgive, to wash, to raise. I'm ready to move. We say, well, wait. Number six, and finally, and I'll close with this. Verse 43 says, when he had said this, in other words, move the stone. It's time to move. Remember why? Back in the early part of the chapter, what's the purpose of all of this? To bring glory to God and glory to Jesus. He says this, and he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Nugget, nubbit, nub, nubbit, nubbit. <laughs> Nugget number six. Is Jesus, when he does the miracle in our life, we still need others to help us take off the grave clothes. He reminded those that were there, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Number, number six, take off the grave clothes. He tells others to do it, to take off the, stink, the stinky cloth, throw them away, and now walk with Jesus. What a great reminder. We need, one thing I do love about, I don't know why I keep, over here because it's like they're all over on this side and there's a few over here too but we need each other there's a need there's a reason why you have a local church and a, and a body of Christ to walk with you through the stinky parts of life that they take off the grave clothes you should remind each other don't be holding on to the stench of the grave hold on to life in Christ. Because that's what brings him glory. That's what brings him glory. I often think when I get to that part of the passage and it's over, it's all done, what if he would have said, come out, instead of Lazarus, come out? The whole cemetery would have rose. <laughs> instead, he made it personal. Just like the gospels work in our life. It was John, come out. It was Tim come out. It was, insert your name, come out. You're alive in Christ. Lord, thanks for your love for us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place tonight, my prayer when we came in, that one of those things will resonate with us for the next four days. That as I'm raking needles, driving a forklift blind. Lord, whatever it is you call me to do in the next four days, that you'll remind me of my theology 
when I stand and look at your creation. Lord, that you remind me that my past doesn't matter. You have made me clean. Lord, remind me as I'm working with the person next to me that I need them to remove the grave clothes. Lord, remind us this week that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and Lord, you saved me. Lord, remind us of that this week. May we leave here on Thursday tired and satisfied in the, the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. That we don't always understand it. Why you're waiting two more days or two more weeks or two more months or two more years for what I want you to do. But may you receive the honor. May you receive the glory. May you receive the praise in Jesus' name.